the woman at the checkout till looked at me and she said, you're my dentist. And before I could say anything, she, she drew others into this conversation and looked at another checkout lady and said, this is my dentist, come and meet my dentist. So I began to say, I'm not your dentist. She said, you are my dentist. You look like my dentist and you sound like my dentist. You are my dentist. Well, I, I paid my bill and uh, I'm still not sure whether she con she's convinced that I wasn't her dentist, but I, I found that quite traumatizing. And when I got home, there was more trauma because the postman had been. Now, most of our cards this year to Janet, my wife, and myself have been addressed to David and Janet. They've come from family and they've come from friends. But what happens every year is that I get one or two cards from people who know me but they don't know my wife. It may be an organization where I've gone to speak at their organization or a church I visited and Janet wasn't with me, but they send me a card. And uh, because they're polite, they want to include Janet, but they can't remember her name. Uh, so I can imagine somebody in the office saying, what's David's wife's name? And somebody will say, well, it begins with a J. So we've had all sorts of cards through the years, to David and Jessica, to David and Jackie, to David and Jennifer, uh, to David and Janice, close. You name a girl's name beginning with J, and we've had a card at Christmas to David and whatever. This year, we had this card. It arrived last week, and it said, to David and Ida. <laughs> now that's not even close. It doesn't begin with a J. None of my old girlfriends are called by the name of uh, Ida. So we don't know who this Ida is, and we're gonna track her down after Christmas. But I'll tell you what, when we open this card, and it said to David and Ida, Janet felt immediately excluded. And you can understand why. C.S. Lewis says the, the pain of exclusion is one of the most powerful emotions that human beings can experience. Because when we're outsiders and people tell us we're outsiders, that's painful. And we crave to be not outsiders but insiders how do outsiders become insiders well the story of the shepherds is exactly that the shepherds were classic outsiders we've already sung about them during this day and uh, you need to know that in the first century the shepherds were a despised class of people they were generally thought to be uh, thieves uh, they didn't keep the rules they allowed their sheep to wander onto other people's lands and uh, they, they had names for them. They were people of the dirt. And the shepherds, in fact, were despised by religious people as well. Uh, they didn't keep the rules and regulations. They didn't attend church regularly, the temple or the synagogue. And uh, they certainly didn't keep the particular rule about hand-washing, endless hand-washing. Well, how can a shepherd, a working shepherd who, whose job is to get his hands dirty, how can he be bothered to wash his hands? again and again when he's going in and out of the temple. And the irony was this. They were looking after sheep that were going to be needed for temple sacrifices. No sheep, no sacrifice. You would think that once a year they would hold some kind of appreciation gathering for the work of the shepherds. That's unthinkable. These people were marginalized. 
And when you look at their true track record, you wouldn't want your daughter to come home and say, I'm getting married to a shepherd. What's so amazing is that on this night we're remembering, God chooses to make outsiders insiders and gives them a front row seat on this special night. The hills that they look after their flocks in are about to come alive with the sound of music. And before you break into song, I had two aunts who had seen the sound of music about 30 times. And it used to be shown on television most Christmases. It was a pain to sit down with them. They would tell you what's coming next. They would sing along, often out of tune. The day came when I discovered that my DV had an Hungarian version of The Sound of Music. That did slow them down. But I have to say everything else was predictable. The storyline, the songs, the happy ending. And there are parts of this shepherd's story, these outsiders, which is predictable. It was a routine thing for them to go out at night time keeping watch. They watched because sheep provided income. They watched and took turns. There were three or four of them. And they would take turns through the night to make sure no rustlers turned up. No wild animals began to attack the flock. So into this routine of marginalized people, God suddenly springs a surprise. And the angel comes. And you know what happened. They were sore afraid. They were scared witless. And the angel has a very simple message for them after saying, don't be afraid. It's a, it's a three-line message, really. The baby's born, a rescuer has arrived, and the war is over. And when you begin to unpack the meaning of all that message, the baby that's born is born in Bethlehem. They would be sufficiently knowledgeable. You don't have to go to the synagogue or temple regularly to know that every important king of Israel has been born in Bethlehem. So this is a significant birth. And the second thing, the rescuer. Well, today, this day, a savior is born for you. That's the rescuer. And these people knew they needed rescuing. They needed economically rescuing. They needed their reputations to be rescued so they were no longer status poor but status rich. And most of all, they needed to be rescued from all the things we need to be rescued from, our past and our present. Those things we have no power over and we know we want to get rid of. So if a saviour has turned up, that's good news. And the war is over? Well, for hundreds of years, God had promised that he was going to send what we might call a king messiah, a mighty conqueror, and nothing would defeat him. And now this baby is this king messiah, this anointed one. He's going to be the one to defeat death. He's going to be the one to overcome the enemies of sin and all the things that make this world sometimes a dreadful place and not the peaceful church that we're in tonight. This king is going to establish a kingdom. It'll be a kingdom of perfect peace and righteousness. It'll begin as it did 2,000 years ago. And one day, the king will come in glory, in his fullness, and he will establish once and for all that promised perfect kingdom. No tears, no pain, no death, no mourning. That king, King Jesus, the one that was born as a baby, he'll do that. One final thing the angels, of course, said to the shepherds. They, the angels said to the shepherds, um, if you want proof that what I'm saying is true, then all you have to do is go to Bethlehem and you'll find the baby in the manger. Well, before they could begin to debate 
this unspoken invitation, suddenly the brightest light hits that hillside and a chorus of probably thousands of angels just begin to sing music they'd never heard before. And why not, I say? The Bible tells us that angels live in the presence of God and that there is choral singing, endless choral singing, all the time in God's presence. So, if the claim is that God's Son is born in Bethlehem this night, it's not surprising that glory and singing turn up in this mighty congregation of choirs. But then just as suddenly as the angel and the angelic choir appear, suddenly the lights go out, the choir departs, and there's no red carpet rolling all the way down to Bethlehem. All the shepherds are left with is a choice. The unspoken invitation. The unspoken invitation was, remember, if you want to know if this is true or not, then travel to Bethlehem to see the baby in the manger. Now, we know they must have discussed this with one another. They had two choices. The choice was to say, well, that was very interesting, wasn't it? And they would talk about that for years to come. Or, as the Bible tells us, they believed that God himself had spoken to them. And because God had spoken to them, they had a journey they had to complete. I could tell you the stories of dozens of people who know when God has spoken to them, inviting them to make a journey. He's broken into their very predictable world in unpredictable ways. And you know that. And the thing to do, even as the wise men followed the star, the shepherds were going to follow the advice given by the angel because God had spoken to them. What happens when you do that? Well, when you do that, you, you do discover a baby in the manger. It's a genius, a poetess, captured this amazing truth that God was born as a human being in that manger of straw. When the love of God is so big, God gives himself to us in what is smallest. That's genius. If the creator of the universe wants to impress me this evening, you would look for something really big. You would look for something which is a, a show dance. But instead he impresses us with what is smallest and what is weakest. And that baby becomes a man. Becomes the man Jesus. And for three years, it's genius teaching. It's teaching that is upside down teaching, which you won't read in the sun, the mirror, the mail, tomorrow. This teaching shows us how to live life as God intended it to be lived. He supports us with amazing miracles. Miracles that have no human explanation, however much you dig into them. And they're supporting evidence that God is living here among us. And then, of course, he goes willingly to the cross. And he dies. And this is the evidence that he is the saviour who the shepherds told, were told about, the saviour who rescues. He's also the mighty king. The resurrection proves that death can't hold him. And this is the journey that you make, even as the shepherds began to make that journey. So if you want to cease to be an outsider and you want to be an insider, follow the journey. Let me close with a story about Christmas trees. I live in a village which has a Christmas tree farm. And if you go 
as we often do for a, a walk around the plantation in summer, you'll see hundreds of evergreen Christmas trees. The last two weeks, especially at the weekends, the roads in our village have been jammed with families going to the Christmas tree farm to buy an evergreen Christmas tree to put inside their home. Jane Williams has written very movingly about this when she says how ordinary rules are suspended at Christmas. If you come to my house in July, you won't find a Christmas tree there, but at Christmas time we suspend the rules. We bring the Christmas tree outside, inside. Dickens took this up, Dickens saw it, when he said the, the decorated tree, because that's what we do, we, we decorate the tree with lights and decorations, we put parcels under the tree, and little do we know, but we're symbolizing for ourselves the heart of the Christmas story. Dickens remembered that. Charles Dickens talked about the whispering of the leaves on the tree which said, remember me. And the me, Dickens knew, was God. Remember the evergreen God, who is evergreen. There's no autumn or winter with the love of God. The love of God is evergreen. It's a four seasons love. It's not only the, the love of God, it's the fact that God who was outside becomes an insider. He's born as that little tiny baby, outside to inside. There's a twist here, of course. Because you and I were born in the warmth of an inside. Most of us, I imagine, were given the privilege of being born in the security of an inside building. The Savior is born outside. It's a symbol. He's born outside because the whole of his life is going to be dedicated to bringing outsiders inside. And of course, there's another truth about this inside tree. For a little short season, the the outside and the inside harmonize in this tree that we bring in. And this Christmas tree, in a few months' time, will become an Easter tree. And on one Easter tree, Jesus Christ, the baby who grew to become a man, that's where he dies. That's where he sheds his blood to show how much he loves us. That's why he loves outsiders. By his death and resurrection, his life, his teaching, he's the one who could bring outsiders inside, home, where you belong. One final thing. When you look at those presents when you get home, if you've chosen to put them under the tree, my question is this. What do you do when you're given a present on Christmas Day? It's like me, you open it to see what's inside. And the message of this carol service is this. God's best gift to us is Jesus Christ. But in order for us to understand that gift... The gift has to be opened. And the best way to celebrate Christmas is to make sure Christmas is unwrapped.